This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So have I told you about my treehouse? Okay, yeah. So some are laughing, some are groaning, because last winter I spent an ungodly amount of time in a sermon uh, unashamedly boasting and indulging in vainglory um, about this treehouse that I built. Well, Julie, who is the head of the beautification committee, she came to me this summer and she said, don't take this the wrong way, but... I would like to hide the treehouse from view. No, 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 don't, I, I don't get upset. I, I love your treehouse. I just don't want anyone to see it when they're driving up the road or sitting on the back patio. If they're standing underneath it, that's fine. But. So we got a, a Japanese maple, a small tree, and we planted it so that when it grows to full height, it will cover the view of the treehouse. Now, as we're taking care of this Japanese maple, I, I didn't realize how much work it takes to take care of a young tree, especially in the dry month that we had in August, September. We had to water it all the time. Uh, there was some animal that was eating at its bark, and so I had to buy a plastic guard to protect the trunk. Uh, it was leaning a little bit, so we had to tie string to help correct and have it grow up straight. Now, in, in the rest of my backyard, there are about five fully grown mature oak trees. Uh, one of them has a tree house in it. Um, but these, I know, it'll get funny again. It'll get funny again. These oak trees, I do not have to tie a string to the trunk. These oak trees, I don't have to water them every day in fear that they might die. They're fine. And I wonder sometimes if we're reading Colossians where Paul is writing to new believers, all of them are brand new believers, in a brand new congregation, in a time in the life of the church where there was no New Testament canon, the scriptures had not been finalized yet, if we may look upon that as, as like a young Japanese maple, well, of course Paul is being tender and he's, he's taking so much care to, to warn and to protect this young tree, but we're maybe a little bit more like the oaks. Many of us have been walking with the Lord for many years. We sit on the end of 2,000 years of history. The canon is closed. The scriptures are established. And maybe we think we're like the oaks, we're, we're fine. And so Paul's message, which as we'll see, he's very eager to, to talk to this young congregation. His main message to them is, don't move off of the original foundation. Trust in Jesus alone. Don't add anything to that and don't move off that original foundation. That's the thrust of the passage that we're studying today. And we might think, yeah, of course they needed to hear that because they're like the Japanese maple. But I wonder if it's less like the trees and more like a relationship, like with a friendship or a marriage. So I've been married to the beautification committee now for 14 and a half years. And it's true that at the beginning of our marriage, we, we had more fights and, and they were rough sometimes. I mean, I remember three day long fights about money, at the end of which we had the classic Julie quote was, Brett, you are not St. Francis. You will never be St. Francis. You're married and God willing, someday you'll have children. Throughout our marriage, she has reminded me that I would make a terrible monk. And I agree. I'm not as disciplined or holy as I like people to think I am. So it's true. We don't have arguments like that anymore. There's something nice about being established in a 14-year marriage. At the same time, I'm not ready to say we're like the oaks. Just leave it alone. They're fine. Because I know that if I'm not constantly tending to this relationship, if I'm not constantly keeping it on the foundation, on uh, 
on the center and back at the roots of what has established us, if I stop investing, the, the relationship will crumble and erode. So I wonder if in our faith it's less like map, Japanese maples and oak trees and more like that marriage relationship or a friendship that we can't hear the main thing too many times. Another great example is I think of Israel. Israel had an awesome foundation. Promises were made to Abraham. Decades of faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. They were taken out of Egypt by a mighty hand and outstretched arm. The mightiest nation bowed before Israel as God took them out of Egypt. And yet, no sooner were they in the desert than they forgot the one main thing that God said, don't forget this one main thing. And even after they came into the promised land, there was centuries of cycles of obedience, yes, but mostly disobedience and forgetting the one main thing, the Lord saying, I am the Lord, there is no other. Trust in me and no one else. So if we look to the example of Israel, I'd say the message that Paul has to the Colossians is a message we need to hear today. He's telling them, trust in Jesus alone. There are already voices in your midst that are trying to get you to add things to the gospel or shift you off the center and foundation. And Paul is saying, don't move from trusting in Jesus alone. And don't let anyone or anything convince you that Jesus is not enough. That was his message to the Colossians. That's the message today. Trust in Jesus alone from beginning to end. And don't let anyone or anything get you to believe or convince you that Jesus is not enough. So Paul is warning. We hear warnings strewn throughout the letter to the Colossians. Now, it's different than his letter to the Galatians. His warning to the Galatians, they were already in error, and he was upset. He was deeply concerned. With the Colossians, they're not yet in error, but he's saying the same uh, potential to, to shift off your foundation, it's there. The danger is right around you. It's lurking in your midst. So we see in chapter 1, verse 23, he just, the hymn to Christ that Steve preached on two weeks ago and, and the gospel of we're reconciled, but now in verse 23 he says, this is all true if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting, because obviously that's possible to shift. He wouldn't warn us to stay on track if it were not possible to get off track. Later in verse 28, he says, We proclaim Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present you mature in Christ. Because he's saying you're not there yet. We bump into chapter 2, verse 4. I'm saying all these things in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He says, watch out, because the arguments that are going to shift you off course and off center are plausible. They're believable. You're going to want to believe them. And then where we read today in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. In the passages that we'll read next week, he says, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you and change what you believe. So these warnings are strewn throughout the letter to the Colossians. The enemy would love to convince you as well, that Jesus is not enough. He would love to convince you that in order to shore up your security, 
to really feel safe or to know that everything is going to be okay, yeah, you are going to need a little bit here or a little bit there or a little bit extra to add to Jesus. He alone is not quite enough. He'll play on our fears. He'll play on our anxieties. Paul identifies in our passage here two primary sources for this Jesus and something else idea. The first one he identifies is what we read there in verse 8. So look again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Now, when he's talking about philosophy here, he doesn't mean philosophy proper that you would study in school. He's more just talking about a way of knowing, a way of, of life that is tied to probably pagan religions and pagan ideas. So that's the elemental spirits. So recall that with Greek mythology, also with the Canaanite gods and other pagan deities, they were tied to the elements. So there was the god of the air and the wind, Zeus, Poseidon, god of the waters and the sea. So the elemental spirits likely refers to those pagan deities. And Paul is saying that the philosophy, the, the human traditions, the human ideas that do not have their source in Christ, don't point to Christ, those pagan ideas, don't go back to those. It'll be really tempting for you to trust in Jesus, but to say, you know what, for a little extra security, I'm going to offer a few sacrifices to this God and that God and participate in these pagan rituals, because why not? What harm could it do? And Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't go back. You've been rescued like the Egyptians rescued out of Egypt. What did he say earlier in chapter 1? You've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. So don't go back to that darkness. But those voices are going to be very tempting that are going to say, Jesus and, you can, you can add some things to Jesus. Jesus is great, but add to him. Or maybe, maybe it's time to graduate from Jesus. And Paul's saying, we don't graduate from Jesus. We don't graduate from trusting in him. We don't graduate from trusting in him alone. The other source that Paul identifies, look to verse 11 now. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. So why is he talking about circumcision? He's talking about a spiritual thing that has happened inside. Their hearts have been circumcised in baptism by the Holy Spirit. But he's talking about circumcision because there was a group of people in the early church called Judaizers who were Jews who believed in Jesus, but then they began to teach that you had to add things to your baptism and to your faith in Jesus. There needed to be a second initiation. So baptism was good, but you needed more. You needed to be circumcised in the flesh, have the foreskin cut off, be part of the rituals of the Jews uh, of our tradition. So again, for next week, we'll hear about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. These are all part of a Jewish tradition. They're all well and good in their own right, but the problem was people are saying this is necessary. You need to do this. Your first initiation in baptism was a good start. Now we need to add to that. Get circumcised and now start following all these Jewish traditions and rules. And Paul is saying, and he says it really clearly in Galatians and in Philippians, no. Jesus, trusting in him, your baptism in him, that alone is enough, and actually anything in addition to that will cause you to move from the foundation of your original faith. So don't fall prey to that. And as we listen, we hear echoes. I think we can identify those voices that would trick us 
into adding things to Jesus. We, we feel those, we hear those as well. So again, with the Colossians, along with the pagan gods and the deities, there also was that Gnosticism that Father Stephen talked about last week a little bit, this idea that you, you have to know certain things. Okay? Well, that sounds familiar. You'll never know enough. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been afraid, what if, what if I don't know enough? What if I don't know enough about Christianity or the Bible or, or about the early church fathers? Or what if I don't know enough about how to hold down a job or, or how to do life? Or what if I don't know enough of fill in the blank? Have you ever been afraid and you said, I, I just don't know enough? And I'm afraid that my ignorance will be my undoing. That's a voice very familiar to us. You don't know enough. You'll never know enough. Now, it's true, I don't know enough to be a lawyer or a math professor. Those things take special training. But you know enough to be accepted into the house of God and into the family of God if you know Jesus. All you need to know is Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus, that is enough and that is all. And again, at a church like this, there's a rich variety of, of knowledge, ways that you can grow in knowledge, and those things are good in their own right. Take TI and be plunged in the rich variety of traditions of growth in the Lord. But if ever a voice comes to you that says, because you don't know X, Y, Z, you're second class, or you don't know enough. If you hear that voice, that is not the voice of Jesus. You know you can disregard that voice. Also, that, that religious error that Paul warned against, I think we hear something like that too. We hear echoes of that. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. And have you ever been afraid? My weaknesses are going to be my undoing. Has that ever been a fear of yours? What if my weaknesses actually lead to my undoing? But Paul would say, that is not how you learned Christ. Look at verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses. So yes, you, you were weak. You were more than weak. You were beyond help and beyond your ability to do anything about it. You were actually dead, he says. You were dead in your trespasses. In your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning your sinful nature and your inability to do right or to do good, there was nothing you could do about it. You were dead. But you who were dead, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. There are a few more powerful and beautiful and succinct articulations of the gospel than these verses that we just read right here. The cross is about grace covering your sin, covering your weaknesses, covering your gaps and mistakes. God's grace always makes up for where we are lacking. And it says, he nailed this to the cross. So sometimes when the Bible talks about our debt. It talks about Jesus paying our ransom or paying the full price. In some places, it uses that language. 
Here, Paul is speaking the same truth, but he's, he's changing the metaphor, and he's saying, he just canceled the debt altogether. Because everything wrong you do, everything you say, everything you've done, everything you've thought, thought, sorry, everything you've thought, everything about you that is wrong, it's like Santa's list, but it's all on the naughty side. Everything is kept track of. But what Jesus does in the cross is he takes that list, he nails it to the cross, and he says, it's canceled. Every last one. That's grace. So every condemning voice that still wants to condemn you, you'll never be good enough. You know now. That's not the voice of Jesus. That's not Jesus speaking from the cross. Jesus from the cross, it's like when he met the woman caught in adultery. What did he say after everybody walked away? He said, they don't condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. So see Jesus. See him on the cross. And when you hear those voices saying, you'll never be good enough, just hear him saying, I do not condemn you. Now let's go, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you move on and live a better life. I'm going to help you sin no more. But I do not condemn you. So I was meditating on the cross earlier this week. I was in a low place, just as from happens from time to time. I'm sure you've, you've been there as well. And just looking at the cross. And it felt like Jesus say to me, you know, you were in a worse place before. I came. I got you then. I can get you now. And maybe this morning that's just all you need to hear. Hey, just remember, you were in a worse place before. I came and I got you then. I can get you now. And yet the temptation for us to, to feel like we need to add on to Jesus, the inability that we have to fully trust and obey Jesus when, when it doesn't seem to make sense or when he's calling us into an obedience that, that we don't want or when we feel like we have to trust him and there's no other support. We're like the lame man. He says, rise and walk. And we said, great, where are the crutches? We don't fully trust him. So we're always looking to add something. And if it's earlier in the Christian life, you might be saying, well, Jesus and that relationship. I'll be okay with Jesus and that relationship. Or I'll be okay with Jesus and my life taking a certain course that I've planned out. Or I'll be okay with Jesus, and I'll even be able to trust in his goodness if and also I have certain experiences that will really make me know that he's good. But without those experiences, I don't know that I can really trust that he's good. I need Jesus, but I and also need these other things. In the end, it's about control. And as you get older in life, it becomes things like, yes, I'm okay with Jesus and that feeling that I'm succeeding at work or succeeding as a parent or succeeding in life. And as soon as any of those seem to wobble or topple or are threatened, now all of a sudden we realize Jesus alone is not enough. That's fine for Sunday mornings, but I've got work to do. Or I've got real stress in the week. And Jesus is saying, no, I, I cover that too. I cover that too. And it's precisely that crucible where you're going to have to know, do I trust Jesus alone, or is it Jesus and I'm looking for a crutch? Jesus in consolation. I can trust in Jesus when everything is good. Jesus, and especially in this town that 
constant pursuit of perfection. Once I've eliminated my weaknesses, then I'll be okay. Jesus and perfection, or others at least seeing a perfect image of me. Again, it's all about control. And Paul would say to us, like he said to the Galatians, like he said to the Philippians, like he's saying to the Colossians, that's not how you learned Christ. That's not the foundation. Let's go back. So look at verse 6 and 7. Therefore, he says, as you received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ. And it's referring to two things. Yes, the teaching about Christ. As you received the tradition, as you received the apostolic teaching, as you received the message and the truth, the what of what you believe. That is not changing. That's your foundation. As you received, so also walk. Okay, so the truth that it's Jesus alone, that's the same truth that is going to carry you into life. But he's also saying it's not just the what that we believe, it's the how we believe. Remember, how did you believe? You believed in weakness. You believed as a sinner at the foot of the cross with tears coming down your face and saying, Jesus, I need you. And you knew in that moment that he had you. And Paul is saying, that's how you received Christ. Don't move off from that foundation because the way you grow in Christ, the way you come to maturity in Christ is no different. As you received Christ, so walk in him. As you began, so continue. And if it changes, you're in, you're in danger of actually losing the faith and losing a grasp and a hold of Jesus. As you received, so walk. Next he says, rooted, and the verb there is past tense, something that happened, and built up, and the, the verb is actually present tense, being built up. So rooted, which can refer to trees, but also when they would build a building, they would sink the foundation and use the same word for rooted. So it could be foundation, rooted, and now being built up. How did this happen? How will this happen? The same by trusting in Jesus alone and letting no one convince you that Jesus is not enough. So after Paul pleads with the Colossians, he then goes on to, to speak in a very summary way about what, what is that uh, deposit of faith? What is the what that we believe? So look at verse 9. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him. Again, there's no other mediator needed. You've been filled in him. You have direct access in him. Sometimes we forget how crazy this is that we can meet with God and be with God, that the veil has been torn. He's saying, in him you are full. He fills you, the one who fills all things, who is the whole fullness of the deity. Lots of superlatives here. Julie and I train our children not to, not to use superlative speech. Always and never, hardly ever apply, right? She doesn't always bother you. He doesn't always hit you in the face when he wakes up, okay? It's usually not true. So we, we train them not to use words always and never. Then uh, my mother-in-law, sorry, not Julie, my mother-in-law was overhearing a conversation between five-year-old Simon and his friends Lander and Gabriel, and they were talking about when their birthdays were. And Lander said, so, so my, my birthday's a month before you, so I'll always be older than you. 
And Simon said, not always. <laughs> and Julie's mom was, well, no, Simon, he'll always be older. Simon said, well, maybe not always. <laughs> but sometimes superlative speech is exactly what we need, and that's what we have here. The whole fullness of deity dwells body. This is saying Jesus is God. He is the Lord. He's the master. He is all. Everything that it means to be God, it is him. So we learn that Jesus is God, head over all. Then again, as we read before these beautiful verses at 11 to the end of our section, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's by the Spirit. Putting off the body of the flesh, that is the sinful nature that dominates us and keeps us from doing anything right. We put that off by the circumcision of Christ, being buried with him in baptism, and now being raised also because you believe in the power and the working of God. So he says, remember, how did you receive? By faith. How are you going to continue? By faith. By faith in the power of the working of God who raised him from the dead and raised us also. And then he goes on to say again, remember we were dead and now we are alive. And that is the summary and the content of our faith. That's the what. And again, how. So if the what is Jesus alone, the how is trust trusting in him, surrendering our lives to him. If you believe Jesus is enough this morning, if you believe Jesus is enough, then you will let go. And you say, of what? Of everything. You'll let go of everything. But probably this week and at this season in your life, there, there may be one or a few things that Jesus in particular is inviting you to let go of, to trust in him alone, always means that surrender and that letting go, knowing I'm going to be okay because I can trust in you. Do you remember what that's like to surrender completely? Do you remember what that's like to be at the foot of the cross? Maybe it was a youth retreat. Maybe it was camp. Maybe it was youth group. Maybe it was at a revival meeting in in a small little church where you met Jesus and you surrendered your life for the first time. Don't let anybody mock that, by the way. Don't let anybody teach you to mock that experience, and don't you come to mock it. As you received, as you began, so continue. And if you don't have a particular moment in time, that's okay. First of all, it's, it's never too late to begin, but that perpetual surrender is what we're all called to. It's what Jesus is calling you to today that perpetual surrender. It's how we began. It's how we continue. And if there's anything that I want you to know this morning, if there's one thing that I want you to remember, it's this. Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him. He's able he is Almighty God. He is the fullness of God, and in His great power, He has rescued you from death and brought you into life. He has forgiven and put away every sin. You don't have to be afraid of them. You don't even have to be afraid to confess them to other people because He's put them away. You don't have to be afraid. You can trust Him. You can trust Him with everything. You can trust Him with whatever He's calling you to obey that feels too hard right now. Just do it and trust Him.
you can trust Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.